0: This is week two of the new series on the Book of Romans. So we're just into the, the middle section of the, of the first chapter, which in some ways is still very introductory to the whole book, but it's starting to get hints of where this is headed, the the, the issues and the, the teaching that Paul is going to bring out in these 16 chapters. Uh, I did enhance the, the titles a little bit. I, I began with just one word for each week, but I thought it's more helpful to give a little bit more than that. So today Mutually encouraged by God's righteousness. Next week, wrath from God. Who deserves that? And then the following week, judgment from God. Do we have a good case? The written code on February 19, rules were made to break us. And then the 26th, accountable, forced to face God just as we are. So that's the theme as we go through the first early chapters of of this wonderful, powerful, deep, complex book called Romans. When Jesus was in Gethsemane before he went to the cross, he said a prayer, the details of which you see mostly in John's gospel. And he says this in John 17, 20 through 21, as part of this prayer, praying for his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me, you are in me and I am in you. It is the desire of Jesus that his church, those who would believe in their message that the disciples would begin, and that's you and I as followers of Jesus, that we would be one, that all of them may be one. That's always been at the heart of God, the desire of Christ in us that we are one, that that the church around the world would be one, that each local congregation, each expression of that body would be one. But things get in the way of being one, and prejudices of all kinds of various forms are a continual battle in the church, and they were in the Roman church as well. It takes a lot of courage to admit and confront your own prejudices. The church in Rome grew during a five-year period when Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from their city. When Nero became emperor, the Jews were allowed to return. Some of those Jews were followers of Jesus who wanted to connect with the other believers in Rome. It was not a smooth transition. There was division, there was conflict, there was tension between believers in Jesus, some of whom were Gentiles, and they were kind of there first in a sense, and then the Jews came back, and those who believed in Jesus, which was a small percentage of them, but nonetheless there were some, including Priscilla and Aquila, that we mentioned last week that Paul met in Corinth, they came back to Rome, and so how do you bring this together now? This faith in Jesus Christ, who is, which is open to everyone, but the Jews in Rome, excuse me, the Christians in Rome, who had less of that Jewish connection and didn't have an apostle there to teach them, were losing out on what we would call now Old Testament teaching. It's like reading just the New Testament severed from the old. Yes, we see the story of Jesus. Yes, we know that the salvation through him is available to everyone through faith, for all who believe. And that is the important first step, but it is only a first one. And in order to walk with Christ, you have to understand where Christ came from and the story leading up to the Christ born in Bethlehem, living the life that he did The teaching, the miracles, the healings, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. When you read Matthew's gospel, you see in great detail how what Jesus did and what Jesus said had a direct connection to the prophecies in the Old Testament. And again and again, Matthew in particular will say, and this happened to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, or of Jeremiah, or of Daniel. And that happens again and again. Paul does that too in most of his letters, and especially in this one that we're beginning here in Romans. So it's important that we recognize throughout this study of Romans that the Roman church had this this tension, this developing division between believers in Jesus, some of whom were Jews, some of whom were Gentiles, and how do you bridge that gap? That's why this word I'm using this morning, these two words, mutual encouragement is so important. And this is what Paul is conveying here in the first chapter, because he wants that conveyed together. It's not just to bring encouragement to the church in a general kind of way, because bringing encouragement, of course, is a very important approach part of the church, part of the teaching of Jesus Christ, part of what we do for one another, and we'll touch on that. But the fact that this encouragement is, works both ways, and we'll see that this morning. And the first thing we see in the eighth verse is we encourage encouraged by a reputation of faith. It says in the eighth verse that he is commending the church in Rome for a faith that has become known all over the world, known for their faith. What is a church known for? What do you think of first when you hear of a particular church, even within the community? You know about, perhaps you know friends that go to this church or that church, and you know something about that church from what you've heard from them or from what you've heard in other ways. Sometimes things happen in a, in a church community that are not positive, that are anything but Christ-like. And then that event, fairly or unfairly, kind of sticks with them and kind of becomes their reputation. Those that are people who are always fighting with each other. Oh, those are the people who had that member in their church. Those are the people who had the pastor who had a falling away and, and had, to, had to resign because of it and whatever else. Well, the church in Rome, for all of the division that was happening there, still were known by their faith, and Paul is commending them for that. And that's an encouragement to them, and it's an encouragement to Paul. So there you have this mutual encouragement taking place right away. In the ninth verse, they are encouraged by knowing that someone is praying, this is the ninth and into the tenth verse, God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray now at last, and we'll pick that up in a moment, what he's praying about, but he's praying for them. He's praying for them. Isn't it good to know that someone's praying for you? Isn't it good to know that you have the assurance that while you in your own life are praying for and about whatever the circumstance, situation, person that has come to your heart and mind that you're praying about, and you know God hears you, but to know that, that someone else hears you as well, that, that someone else is, is offering a prayer up to God on your behalf. That gives you... That, that increased foundation of faith by knowing that someone else cares enough to pray. And that's what Paul's telling them. He isn't just writing about to help them address their division, and he is doing that, and he's doing a whole lot more too, but he's telling them from the get-go here in the first chapter that I am praying for you. Wow. As a pastor, I'll get people that come to me Concerned about something, worried about something, fearful of something, questions about whatever. And and I'm not the answer man. Um, Sometimes I can give some guidance, some advice. Sometimes I'll say, I don't know. And I don't have an answer for you, but I will pray for you. And I'll pray with you. And, And I think that's the way... Most people also recognize that, no, the pastor isn't the answer man who's going to fix everything for me, but at least there's someone that I can go to, and it doesn't have to be the pastor, that is going to say, yeah, it's okay to feel that way, it's okay to be scared of that, and I don't know how this is going to work out for you, but I do know the God that cares for you, and I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray with you. That's that's why we're going to open up this place for prayer. Yes, you all can and should be praying on your own in your, in your daily lives, and please continue to do that. But something about coming to this place where it's separated from the normal distractions. It's quiet here. Come here to pray. I hope you'll take advantage of that. At least once in a while on a Tuesday, stop by and pray, because being prayed for is very encouraging. There's also encouraged to know that a friend is coming. Back to that 10th verse, he says, I pray, that now, I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Some of them have never met Paul before. Many did, like Aquila and Priscilla. But the fact that he's coming to them. Most of them at least respect Paul. They've heard about Paul as much as He's heard about their church and acknowledge that. They've also heard of him and, and, and this great teacher and all the churches he started. And so, wow, he's coming here? Isn't that great? Paul's coming here? And not just the fact that he's someone of notoriety in the early church. It's the fact that here's this, this person that cares about us that is going to, to come and fellowship with us. And, and, and that we can, we can be together and learn from one another. He'll be in the same room with us. It's more than just this guy who wrote this letter. Which was the only way they could communicate then, of course. From a distance. Almost three years ago. We had to stop meeting for worship. Have you forgotten what that felt like? I mean, in a lot of ways, we want to forget. (laughs) We we don't want to kind of go back there. And yet, there there are lessons from the pandemic that we should remember, that, that we should recognize, because it reminds us of how good it is that you can sit here right now. It reminds us that when you came in this morning... We say hello to one another, how are you? We catch up a little bit on the week, what was going on or things we heard about and, and, and there's smiles and there's hugs. That happens every Sunday. Didn't you miss that in 2020? For those two or three months, whatever it was, how long we literally couldn't come here together and worship together. That you can connect with Friends. Isn't it encouraging to know that friends come, that we connect together and, and it's in the room and it's face to face and sure, social media is wonderful and technology is wonderful and you know, I can, I can watch my granddaughters on my wife's phone, not mine, you know, but, uh, and, and they, they talk to me and laugh and giggle, but it's not the same as the hug when I see them and when I'm with them. And that's the way it is in the church too, that friends are coming. We're encouraged by learning from, learning faith from each other, down to the 11th verse. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you may be mutually encouraged. This is where I got that phrase this morning. Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And, and that's what happens here. That's what happens, not just as we we pray, as we sing, as we share together in a more formal sense, but in those interactions before and after worship, as we talk with one another, and beyond Sunday morning, as you connect and communicate with each other, and you tell one another your story, and you tell one another of, of what is happening in your lives, and you share your faith moment And that blesses them, and it blesses you to be able to to share that. That's what the church is for. That's what the church is about, that we have other people who will listen. And we are encouraged by one another's faith. Just this week, on Tuesday, I I was here at the church office doing doing my work, and um, <clears throat> for a whole variety of reasons, it just wasn't a good day, and I, I just felt, I felt bothered, I felt distracted, I felt a lot of things, and 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 it got to the place where it began to feel even overwhelming, and I thought, you know what, this is, this is definitely a spiritual battle, because when I couldn't put my finger on, okay, here's what's going on, deal with it, or here's how I deal with it, or whatever, and and I knew that I wanted to pray, but, but I needed others to pray for me. So I sent a text message to two very good friends. And I knew they'd get it, and I knew they'd read it, and I knew they'd pray. And I could have sent it to a whole lot of people that would have fit that category. But um, and, and as I'm writing this, I'm, I'm listening to a song. And... Um, if you're familiar with the, uh, the Christian band Mercy Me, uh, they've been around for about 20 years now, I think. Um, and one of their earlier albums, there was a song called God With Us, which is a beautiful song. It's about God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, that theme you hear at Christmas, that, that, that God is indeed with us. And I was listening to that song, and the message of that song was ministering to me. And as I'm texting my friend, About I just said, basically, pray for me. I didn't go into detail and say anything else. Pray for me. Five minutes later, one of those two friends texted back to me with this message. Emmanuel, God is with us. He had no idea I was listening to that song. And yet God in his spirit connected with both of us in that moment. That yes, God is with you in that moment. Praise God. I was encouraged by his faith. He was encouraged by mine. It was a very powerful moment for me. And, and God does this for us when we need it the most. If we trust in him and we turn to one another and we learn from the faith of one another and our stories together. <clears> then <throat> also Paul's encouraged by a spiritual harvest in the 13th verse. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. A harvest. A harvest meaning God does good things, and, and he's using Paul's giftedness, Paul's calling, Paul's passion for the gospel, to bless other people that their lives will be blessed and touched and changed and, and, and aligned toward christ and and seeing that happen is what he 's talking about in a harvest. I shared last fall about um, recognizing times in our lives where we blessed people and, and that God has used us and in, in my case, it was I, I chose the the, the portion of my life when I was a youth pastor down in suburban Philadelphia, and I had if you remember that that particular message, I asked them through Facebook Messenger to tell me some stories from those days when you know I was your youth pastor and I got a lot of great responses and that was so inca- incredibly encouraging to me because that was uh, evidence of a harvest from how God used me to plant seeds in their lives that now, 25, 30 years later, have still grown and are going into the lives of, of those teens then, now parents themselves, many of them, and, and sharing, carrying that faith down through, with their family. And God uses you as well. And we should celebrate those harvests. The harvest is simply when the work of God is being carried on, when the work of God is making a difference. When more people are believing and believing in bigger and deeper ways about the way of Jesus Christ and that God uses you even in the smallest of ways to help make that happen, then you are part of that harvest. You are part of of making that harvest happen. And that too is what the church does. And then the uh, 14 to 16, encouraged by a gospel for everyone. I am obligated both to Jews and, excuse me, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now notice here is where you have that first indication that there is some tension there about the Greek versus Jew thing. That Paul phrases it this way, and I actually almost said it wrong there when I read it, Jews versus Greeks. Usually when he does that, he'll say the Jew, then the Greek. Like he's Jewish himself, and then he'll acknowledge also the Greek people, the Gentile people. But here he says Greeks first. The Greeks, the Gentile believers in the Roman church had, you hate to put it this way, that it even could be put this way, but they kind of had the upper hand. They were the majority. They had been there longer. They, had, they were in the leadership positions, and now these Jewish believers are coming back after being exiled, and from Rome they're back, and some of them are new believers, so how do we deal with them? Like, And, and, and Paul's going to teach throughout this letter that you deal with them by treating them like brothers and sisters. You deal with them the way, the way God did. He loves them all, and He loves you equally. So let, let's, let's bring these sides together. This gospel is for everybody. Our problem today, not specifically in St. John's Church, but in the church, in our culture, in America, in, around the world... Our problem isn't usually Jewish believers versus non-Jewish. It's a very rare problem now. Our problem, however, is still just as big a problem in as much as it creates division. Anything that creates division in the body is of great concern to Christ. And the principles that that Paul is going to teach throughout this letter and is taught throughout all of his teachings and letters still hold for us even if the specific issue of division doesn't hold. What divides the church now? What are the threats? Is there an us versus them? Who is the them? And when we start to just say us, we not them, then we are going down that same road of division that those people aren't part of us. Those people don't belong. Those people aren't loved by God. Those people will never be believers. And, and maybe we're not gonna say that, but, but a, a sinful self-conscience will lead us there if we let it. The sin nature in us wants us to divide wants us to pull back, wants us to isolate, wants us to get to that place where it's us versus them. And that was never the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Paul believes in and preaches, is a unifying gospel. Yes, there are people who will and do and will continue to reject it and work against it. And in, in, in as much as there is kind of the them out there, the only thems are the ones that Don't believe yet. And you always have to leave that yet word. You always have to leave the possibility that that person who seems so far from the gospel, so far from the ways of God, who wants nothing to do with it, and in fact is working really hard against it. Well, God, you certainly want me to oppose that person. Something else I, I, I happened this week. I was listening to a podcast and the the teacher in the podcast was talking about um, being open to others and uh, the particular issues won't matter but there was someone that just completely opposed him and um, he tried to sit down and have a one-to-one conversation with that person. He said, look, okay, I... I'll, I'll be helpful. I, I want to understand you. I want to bridge the gap any way I can. How can I help you with this? And the person opposing him looked him in the face. He said, you know, you don't understand. I'm going to make it my mission in life that one day your grandchildren are ashamed to know you. That was, that was the depth of the hatred and animosity that this person had toward him. And, and, and he let it go. But he, he's not going to say, well, that person isn't loved by God. No, he's going to say, boy, that person really needs the love of God. It's a whole different way of thinking. When you embrace the gospel for everyone, you never exclude. You keep your distance. sometimes, And, and, and some people, it's not healthy to be around. And some people, you need to keep your distance from. And, and when, when people raise up things that are against the church, you still oppose what it is they're standing for, but not the person behind it. And that's hard to do, but that's the balance we have to try and strike as believers. Encouraged by a gospel that's for everyone. Because think about it. In the early years of the church, who was public enemy number one to the church? Some guy from Tarsus named Saul, who hated Christians, who thought they were heretics against the ways of God, and if anyone is is deserving of hell and the least deserving of the love of God, it's certainly that Saul guy, and we have to do all we can to to protect ourselves from him and to fight against what he's fighting against us with, and what does God do? He calls that guy (laughs) to lead them. And Paul, to his credit, accepted God's graciousness of being blind on that road to Damascus. He could have said no, by the way. He could have said, well, you may be Jesus, but I still don't want anything to do with you. And and then we never would have heard the story. But he gave his heart, and he used that same passion against the church for the church. And lastly, mutual encouragement. Encourage that the path to righteousness comes through faith, the 17th verse for For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I mentioned a moment ago how Matthew would quote prophets. And so Paul's doing the same thing right here. And he is quoting right in in this particular instance, the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2-4, and you probably see that footnoted in your Bible. Most Bibles have a little footnote in the bottom of that tiny little print. It might say Hab 2-4, okay? Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet that lived in a time where the, the Babylonian Empire was threatening Judah and Jerusalem. And they they it wasn't, they weren't there yet, but they knew. It was only a matter of time. It was imminent. And Habakkuk, after he wrote his prophecy, probably lived to see the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple. It was that close. So what Habakkuk is is writing here in his prophecy, and the reason he says the righteous will live by faith, was he knew that one day, the temple would be gone. He knew one day his people would be under bondage. He knew one day that all they knew about their lives, all they knew about their God and their community, their nation, was going to be gone. And those who survived this invasion of this massive army were going to be put into bondage and carried off. So here's the thing. If all of your life... Your, your way to God, your connection with God, centered around this city named Jerusalem, and then in particular this temple built on the highest point of Jerusalem, which all religions did in the ancient world. If you wanted to show off your God, you put a big temple on the highest hill and made it shiny and bright and golden and everything else, so it looked like your God was the best. So, in that way, they were the same as the other religions, but of course, this is the one true God, and they said that. But now, the temple of the one true God is, is gone? Is God gone? Where is our faith? What is the access to our faith if we can't gather there anymore? And the prophet knew, and the heart of God has always known. While the temple had its place and the sacrifices and and everything that took place at the temple was important, had a role to play, the bottom line is the righteous live by faith. And the armies of Babylon can't take that away from you. And the armies of Rome can't take that away from you. And the armies of any other empire throughout the world can't take that away from you. And if the empire of the United States of America would one day throw God out the window and say, you can no longer gather here in your little church in Bartonsville and worship that God, even then, it's not taken from you. The things that we hold dear are and and, and the ways that we gather together are. I'm not saying that's going to happen, or certainly I don't want it to happen. What I'm saying is, you put yourself in the shoes of the writers of these scriptures and you recognize that for them it was all gone. What do we have left? We have faith that nothing and no power can take away from us. Nothing. You have faith. And that is the righteousness of God given to you. Not that you're right, but God helps you to be right. His righteousness, access through faith, that's the message. That's the most encouraging thing. And so to be mutually encouraged, this is the church. This is what we do and can do and should be doing as a body of believers here in Bartonsville or anywhere else believers are gathering. We have... Stories of faith, faith known throughout the world, Rome was. We share our stories. We are being prayed for, we know we're being prayed for, and we pray for others. That is encouraging. We have friends far and near that we connect with and, and communicate with, and it's great to see those friends come once again. Good example is when um, John Smith comes back to preach. aren't you glad to see him? He's such a good man. and and such a loving man. He likes being here. There's a friend from afar who uh, I'm sure he'll cycle around in in 2023 once again here at St. John's. Learning from each other is is part of encouragement as we share our stories and and the struggles and the pains of our lives. We certainly had that in the last year from the grieving, but going back, all the pains of the pandemic and more that, that we have depended upon one another for. And then to have that spiritual harvest, to see the growth in our own lives in terms of our faith, and then passing that faith on to others is also part of the harvest. And then that inclusive gospel that we continue to welcome people and and to those who are ready to receive him, we always welcome. those who are ready to receive him, we always welcome. We pray for those who are not. That's my prayer for you. Let's go to him together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that the encouraging words that Paul shared from this book of Romans would resonate with us today. Take the one thing that stood out from this, these moments, from these words that I shared, that it would co- connect with each of us, and that one thing would be a seed in our hearts to grow. That we would be encouraged in our lives. Amen. He's going to come, and will our.